Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another edition of Journey into Justice. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my uh, very good friend, author and attorney Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program. Simon, as always, it's good to be with you. Uh, How was your house? Oh, it it was fine. Uh, Last week, um, we uh, decided to discuss what we considered to be the most important legal issues and cases of 2019. We ran out of time, which is hardly surprising. Um, happens to because us I a lot. <laughs> so I, I thought I, I thought we could uh, continue the discussion. Um, Mark, I you, you um, talked a lot about um, uh, Ruth. Beta Ginsburg, and uh, you know how the Supreme Court um, really uh, relied on her, and I, I honestly believe that's true. Anyway, uh, I think that's where we left it. Could be wrong, so over to you. Um, carry on. Well, uh, I'll, I'll refresh your memory and, uh, and our listeners um, as we continue our discussion about the uh, most important legal issues and cases of 2019. And it's appropriate that we do this on our uh, last broadcast of 2019. Uh, next Monday will be 2020, so... Uh, uh, last week, our listeners may remember that we discussed what I consider to be three important legal issues and cases. The first one was what I consider to be a horrendous and partisan gerrymandering decision by the United States Supreme Court in a five to four decision. Um, essentially, conservatives versus uh, liberals, the high court permitted unreasonable and unjust gerrymandering to continue. And I use the word unjust because that's exactly the word that Chief Justice Roberts, even though he voted with the majority, used in describing the gerrymandering maps that he allowed or permitted to continue. So I don't use the term unjust. Uh, as my own opinion, I use it because Judge Roberts 
used it. Um, Republicans should be careful what they wish for. This decision will ultimately come back to haunt them, and districts will one day be mapped to unreasonably favor local Democratic candidates, and uh, they'll be sorry that they supported uh, this kind of behavior. Um, Elections should be free and fair and not decided by how someone draws a district. But again, that, that's, we discussed uh, that at length last week. Um, the next thing we discussed uh, along these same lines was the health and well-being of uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, we wished her then and I wish her now good health and long life, <laughs> especially through the next year. And uh, if necessary, through the next four years or five years, uh, but not just for political purposes, but uh, because she's a great lady, uh, a hero of the Constitution, a hero of American history, and we wish her continued uh, success, health, and long life. Um, The third thing we discussed before we ran out of time, but we did finish our conversation about it was the Jeffrey Epstein case and how the rich and powerful continue to receive the benefits of the doubt in the criminal justice system vis-a-vis the average American citizen, especially citizens who are poor or citizens of color. Epstein, as you know, and we discussed, got a slap on the wrist when he was first charged with his evil sexual uh, deeds against um, primarily underage women, even children. Um, And the slap on the wrist ultimately led to repeat behavior. And that repeat behavior finally did him in and led to his death under a cloud of suspicion. The big issue these days is whether his death was a suicide or something more sinister. Did the rich and powerful cover up their own involvement in his cases? Hopefully the truth will come out in subsequent legal proceedings. Uh, There was a new development. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it, Simon, but uh, last week after our podcast, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, Epstein's longtime friend, uh, known as his madam, and enabler is also now being invested by the FBI. Uh, you might you might be aware of this, and you can, you can tell our listeners who this gentleman is. But she's the daughter of a British media magnate, Robert Maxwell. Oh um, yes. Robert <laughs> uh, goes way way back. You want to tell the people who Robert Maxwell is? Um, I, I, I don't think, um, I, 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 I haven't researched him enough. Um, okay. but yes, you're, you're right. He is a huge, uh, media magnet. I, in fact, I can't like even remember. Like the, I, I can't even remember. Can't even remember the, um, uh, newspapers he owns, but uh, 
it, it's a, a significant list. And, uh, um, yes, he, he's a very important uh, person. Well, anyway, his, da- his daughter is being accused of facilitating Epstein's sex trafficking operation that brought uh, girls as young as 14 to Epstein's home in Manhattan. Uh, she hasn't been charged with any criminal wrongdoing, so let's make that clear. I, I hate the fact, and I'm, and I'm probably guilty of it myself, I hate the fact that people get tried and convicted in the press when we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. The, the press seems to prove people guilty before they ever have a chance to prove themselves innocent or prove uh, or have the prosecution prove them guilty in a court of law. So uh, let's be careful with, uh, with uh, trying and convicting uh, uh, Ms. Maxwell before she's even charged. Uh, but anyway, those, those three issues took up the whole hour last week. Uh, but the year was full of legal challenges. Those weren't the only ones. Um, and we started to talk about it, and that's when we ended last week. One of those issues that has certainly taken center stage uh, during the Trump administration, not in a good way, um, ever since candidate Trump stepped up to a podium and announced that Mexico wasn't sending America its best and brightest, immigration has been a hot topic in the United States. Um, You may recall that candidate Trump argued that Mexican immigrants were bringing crime and drugs into the country. And like he did with white supremacists in Virginia, he then walked his comments back a bit and said, some Mexicans, I'm sure, are really fine people. Sort of like saying someone is a credit to their race. Or some of my best friends are. Trump can't seem to get out of his own way. Um, That there are actually groups of Hispanics that support this guy uh, is beyond my comprehension. Since he took the oath of office, he's declared war on especially those who cross over the southern border in states like California, Arizona. Um, So, uh, Simon, immigration or immigration reform is our fourth top legal issue of 2019. I presume you would agree. Oh, I am absolutely in agreement with you. The problem is, how on earth can any meaningful reform occur when... um, the the country is so uh, partisan, uh, not not just in uh, in in Washington, but I mean, if the average man in the street, everyone is partisan these days. So I I honestly don't see any meaningful movement. This but, you know this 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 really shouldn't be a partisan issue. Um, I agree. I mean, it's it's no secret 
that uh, the Trump administration's policies have resulted in a uh, asylum and border processing administration crisis. Um, primarily, you know, they, they pick on Mexico, but primarily it's Central Americans who are crossing illegally in record numbers. And the tool that they rely on, I'm not sure people understand this, the tool that they rely on most often to get into the country is asylum. Um, and the reason for that is that asylum and similar processes are really the only ways for them to enter the United States. Now, considering that despite all of the disruption, all of the chaos at the border, they're, they're still coming here in record numbers. It should be pretty clear to everyone, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, crazy, sane, it should be absolutely clear that you can't restrict or d deter the flow of these people under the current system. We need a new legal structure. And everybody should be on board with this. And that legal structure should be something that allows them to come into the country without being detained, without being separated from their family members, and without being thrown into cages. And I don't care what your political constituency is, you have to agree with that. What sense does, does the alternative make? Well, <laughs> clearly no sense at all. Um, but we, we seem to be seem to have been pushed into a corner by the uh, current administration. Um, you, you cited, you know, Mexico doesn't send us our best. Um, uh, That's what he said. That has. That has nothing to do with it, you know. Uh, as you pointed well, out, is, not only doesn't have not only doesn't have anything to do with it, but it's, we're not talking about people from Mexico. We're talking about people from Central America. Right, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I've noticed over the um, past three years, um, pretty much we live in a post-truth world. Um, the truth doesn't have anything to do with anything anymore. I mean, you know, it's uh, he who speaks loudest and most often on Fox News wins. Well, tonight, tonight, Simon, with the help of the Cato Institute, which is a public think tank, that specializes in immigration issues. I have a journey into justice exclusive. We're going to fix the immigration problem tonight. How do you like that? All right. I, I'm excited. We have we have, <laughs> we have a list of five reforms that would restore border control and make our 
asylum system more manageable. Uh, and and uh, I'm not an immigration lawyer. I'm not the genius that uh, came up with these proposals, but I they, they they made perfect sense to me. I urge people to go to the Cato Institute's website and take a look. Um, but these five simple reforms would change everything, and it made perfect, simple sense to me. The first such reform is what they call humanitarian parole. They suggest that we waive entry restrictions for Central Americans who have family already in place legally in the United States. At Cato cites this case, unbelievable. Uh, they cite this case in point. One Central American woman who was seeking asylum and who reunited with her U.S. citizen teenage daughter in Denver after crossing the border was declared ineligible for sponsorship. Do you know why? <laughs> because her daughter was a minor. Oh, goodness. That's it. So in Cato's mind, in my mind, the Department of Homeland Security should prioritize uniting and reuniting Central Americans with legal U.S. family members. Simple, right? Yes. <laughs> people, who have, people who have family in the United States already are far more likely to immigrate here than any other people, right? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's common sense. I remember when hearing about my family being immigrating here during um, the Russian pogroms and during uh, World War II, and they would come here because they had relatives here in, in, in the Detroit area, and that's where they wanted to go, where their family was. So it's no surprise that Central Americans are looking to come to the United States because other Central Americans who they know and love are already here. What the United States should do is incentivize them to use the system legally rather than come here illegally. And the system should reward the people who uh, rely on legal immigration options and create positive incentives for them to obey the law. This is common sense. Um, why this isn't already being done, I have no idea. The second proposed reform that Cato recommends is to allow private refugee sponsorship. Now, this is in contrast to this first reform where a family member is already here. What this would suggest is that a church, a nonprofit, or uh, even a, a family organization uh, identifies these people uh, and sponsors them at the border. And those people who are coming here do not have to wait in cages or in, in, in prison or whatever. 
for an overwhelmed immigration system to qualify them. Um, and it would save money. What would happen is the private entity or the family member would submit a request to the State Department, pay the cost of the processing applications, and bring the refugees here after that's done. Funding is streamlined, only legitimate claims qualify, and it's an easy system to get people uh, here legally. Incredibly, Simon, you're, you're not going to believe this number. Out of 275,000 asylum claims at the border, only 3,000 refugees have been admitted. 272,000 claims are still pending. We have to do better than that. Canada already has a similar program. The United States, as I indicated, has done this in the past. Um, uh, you might recall the uh, Soviet Jew refugee program uh, worked very well here. Uh, so did the Cuban refugee program. So the, US, the USA has done this very well in the past. It sounds like a no-brainer to me. But as you pointed out, you need a president who's willing to build bridges at the, at the southern border and not walls. Uh, bad chance for that to happen, right? Right. <laughs> that, that's the sad part. Um, it, it, in fact, uh, I, I've been following some um, email threads uh, all about um, H1 uh, visas. Um, well, you're bringing, how, you're, bringing me, you're bringing me to you're bringing me to my next proposed reform. But go ahead. Okay, um, which incidentally was. Uh, how I uh, well, you, made my way initially into... You brought me right into it. The third proposed reform is to expand our worker program, our guest worker program. What Cato suggests is that we waive the H-2B cap, expand the H-2A and H-2B seasonal worker programs, and create year-round jobs for Central Americans. What the country should be doing is helping to make legal employment possible here and, for that matter, in their home countries, working for American companies. When you think about it, Simon, what's the most important reason, aside from family, that an immigrant shows up at the border? Employment. Economic opportunity and employment. Yeah. So in my view, and Cato agrees, Congress should absolutely expand guest worker programs, increase work visas, and give U.S. recruiters incentives to set up in Central America. That's easy. That should be really easy politics when you consider that – we're in a pro-business, conservative administration, right? <laughs> right, but so, and it's a it's a very big but. Um, but it's craziness. 
Oh, it, it is absolute craziness. Um, the the argument goes along the lines of, well, people are taking jobs from uh, Americans. Now, you and I both know that's a load of hooey. Um, most of the uh, seasonal workers do jobs that um, no American wants to do. Um, I, I lived in San Diego for uh, 10 years, and um, seasonal workers, documented and undocumented, did the jobs that no one else wanted to do, picking Which was crops. good for business. Which was right. good for business. Yeah, absolutely. They got, paid less, they got paid less and they filled jobs that nobody else wanted. Right. So why I mean, so why is the why is the Republican Party on the wrong side of this issue? I have no idea. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um by the by, by the way, the other part of the uh, of this discussion, if you think about it, if you fast-track agricultural work visas, both seasonal and non-seasonal, I don't care, but if you fast-track them, who pays for that? The program would be free. You know why? The government doesn't have to pay for it. The employees who hire, the employers, rather, who hire these people bear the cost of the program. It's a great idea. I just, like I said, these proposals and, and solutions are simple. Cato for president. <laughs> uh, Cato's not a person, it's, a, it's an acronym. But, but <laughs> Right. Um, their, their fourth proposal is simply legalize illegal immigrants who are otherwise good citizens. And we've heard a lot about good people being criminalized and deported even though they're good people. Um, Cato thinks that we should immediately legalize those illegal immigrants who have no serious criminal convictions and permit them to reunite with their spouses and children instead of incarcerating them. As most of our listeners know, our immigration problems center around two very serious issues. Issue one is we have an ungodly number. I just gave it to you, 275,000 asylum seekers. We have an ungodly number of asylum seekers, A. And B, we have we don't have enough immigration officials or judges or administrators. So the court case backlogs to process these asylum seekers is horrendous. And again, I, I point you to that statistic I gave you earlier. 3,000 people have been allowed to immigrate out of 275,000, leaving 272,000 twisting in the wind. Under the current system, that means the vast majority of people won't get any justice at all. 
and they won't get any form of legal status. They'll just hang in limbo or be sent back. Now, this proposal, given current administration policy and congressional attitudes, is probably too controversial to, to make sense to them, but Congress should simply grant these people permanent legal status. Just this one step, Simon, would immediately clear 272,000 people off the court backlogs. It would prevent these people from being considered illegal. It would allow them to reunite, reunite with their family members legally. Are, are, I, I, I think, I, I don't know, I'm not sure. Maybe you're not shocked by this, but I, our listeners might be shocked. There's a there's a one to three year wait time in immigration court right now. If you think about that period of time, hold that thought. One to three years. Think of think of something else that is that is um, when you hear the term one to three years. Think about what else that might apply to. Consider that while you're waiting. The Trump administration is doing what? They're detaining you. They're locking you up. So I want our listeners to think about what this means. Detentions of immigrants who are only seeking to be reunited with their family are being imprisoned longer than most criminals serve time. How many, how many prison sentences have you heard you're going to serve one to three years? And how serious is the crime? Immigrants are serving more time than criminals are. Oh, my God. The system really sucks, Simon. Yes. Time for a change. Right. And the, the immigrants have done nothing wrong. Um, well, he's entered the country. He's entered the country illegally, but he, but he, but he well, applies not, for. Well, not, not, not necessarily. Not, not you are, if you're they're right. Uh, right. Not, not, <laughs> you not know, if they're seeking asylum. You know, people are people are going to think we set this up, but you just did. You just did this. You just did it again. You 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 set it. You set me up for the final uh, reform proposal, and that is removing the cap on asylum seekers at ports of entry. Instead of instead of processing them in court, why not process them at the port? Release them with an employment authorization document and make that contingent upon them appearing in court. This would immediately minimize security and humanitarian issues that incarcerating them creates. We've got this thing half-assed backwards. The system actually encourages, and this is what you were getting at, you're not going to believe this. I don't know if you know, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The system actually encourages illegal entry while discouraging legal entry. Did you know that? 
Well, yes. I mean, you, all you've got to do is look at the situation and go, hmm. So, if you want to get in legally, um, <laughs> you've got to jump through all these hoops. If you want to get in illegally, all you've got to do is pay money. Well, that's, that's, that's true. That's a little cynical, but that's true. But I'm not, that's not where I'm going. Where I'm going is this. Border Patrol, again, you're not going to believe this. Border Patrol is required to immediately process an asylum seeker who crosses the border illegally. Do you want me to repeat that? <laughs> Border Patrol immediately processes an asylum seeker who crosses the border illegally. I kid you not. So here you are. You're about to approach the border. Do you want to be detained and put in a cage for crossing legally, or do you want to be freed for crossing illegally? Which choice would you make in this situation, Simon? Oh, I'd be the illegal every time. <laughs> you, you, you can't make this stuff up. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that these reforms will stop all asylum seekers, but they'll certainly make the process more manageable again for the system. And what the, the centerpiece of all of these proposals is to decriminalize immigration. It would, re, it would relieve Border Patrol from spending the bulk of its time dealing with people whose only crime is coming here to the United States to seek a better life. Uh, that's their crime. I, I think that's really the, um, the, the the very sad part about all of this discussion. Um, most of the people that uh, come here illegally are not uh, scoundrels and criminals. No. They, no. They, they, they are just looking for a better life for themselves and their families. Uh, again, I, I go back to um, my, my time in uh, San Diego. A lot of the uh, migrant workers that, that I knew worked very, very hard, and they um, basically sent money back to their family every week. Yep. I mean, yep. they're, they're just looking they for a job. They're, they're just looking for work. Right, right. By the way, by the way, by the way, to all, to all my Republican friends out there, um, the other important thing here is every one of these reforms would save a ton of money, billions of dollars in smuggling fees would be diverted. 
you you kind of mentioned the concept of payola. A lot of people are smuggled over the border for money. Yes. That all of all of that money would be diverted from the cartels and other criminal enterprises who specialize in victimizing immigrants. Legal pathways would divert the money and reduce victimization. Uh, this includes, by the way, children. Um, and a, a lot of these kids are being forced to pursue unregulated and dangerous routes to the border, and they can easily become a human trafficking victim. This is no, there's no question this is an emergency. Cato offers a much better way than the, the United States government has up to now. Uh, somebody ought to start listening. Um, more more legal options and people becoming aware of legal options would also have a positive domino effect. Um, as people get into the country um, in a more humane and just way, more people will follow the new reforms and do it the correct way themselves. So um, immigration... Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned 2020 when when we were off the air. Uh, obviously, that 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 issue isn't going away, and it's going to be a big issue in 2020 and in the 2020 campaign, I believe. As as will this next topic that I consider to be an important legal issue of 2019. You may recall in our very first podcast, we featured a lawyer named J.R. Watley. Yes. And uh, J.R. is involved in the, uh, actually, I think his name is Whaley, not Watley, but um, J.R. is involved in. Uh, class action litigation related to the opioid crisis. And uh, opioids and e-cigarettes are the health issues of 2019. They have a major impact on our health and safety and and our healthcare system. And with all of the political speak going around about what kind of health care system we should have or who should pay for it, our politicians are strangely silent about these very serious health issues that are affecting our youth. And it's probably because, and this is me being cynical as usual, it's probably because most of the politicians are getting money from corporate wrongdoers. We've seen this in the past with dangerous drugs and the FDA, tobacco products and alcohol, uh, drugs with side effects that weren't disclosed, and, and so on. Today, we're at crisis level with opioids and e-cigarettes. Who's on the front lines defending our kids against these evil poisons? The trial lawyers. 
Of course. It's the trial lawyers. <laughs> right. The trial lawyers. Actually, the, multi- Go ahead. Actually, the, 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 uh, the best joke, best joke was um, suddenly there was a rash of people getting, uh, getting themselves dead from uh, e-cigarettes. And uh, um, the Trump uh, administration said, oh, we've got to stop this. We'll, we'll just put let me, a stop. Let me, let, me think, let me think about this. Let me think about this, is what he said. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put a stop to this. We'll fix it. These are the biggest public health issues of the new century, Simon. Nothing right. is being done. Nothing no. is being done by government, only by only by the trial lawyers. In, in fact, two weeks later, he completely uh, backpedaled and gave some waffle about, oh, we, we don't need to ban them. But there's nothing really wrong with uh, flavored e-cigarettes. You know, well, but, thought, think, but think about Think about what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an administration that has been very pro-corporation, very anti-citizen, very anti-litigation when it comes to citizens suing corporations. Uh, Think about the stance that Trump, when he took office, took on Obamacare. He wanted to repeal it, and if it wasn't for John McCain, he might have. And he had nothing to replace it with. So what would have happened is everybody would have been kicked off the rolls. The health insurance companies would have made a fortune by by saving all the money that they had to pay to people who had pre-existing conditions, and they would have bumped everybody's premiums. They've given us nothing. And, and the public should, shouldn't stand for it. They should stand with the lawyers and oppose any legislative attempt to restrict citizens' access to the courts and any other uh, method of obtaining justice. And the people out there should contact state and federal representatives and make their feelings known about this stuff. You can pick your poison. It, it's, it's not just e-cigarettes and opioids. Corporate predators might sell junk food, porn, gambling systems, uh, addictive computer games, alcohol to kids. In this case, it's nicotine delivery systems or drugs. Their MO is target that which is forbidden, that which a kid will desire for pleasure or motivation, identify it, Make them crave it. Get them addicted to it. And then they'll have customers and users for a long time to come. That's the philosophy. Um, that, go ahead. That, that is the sad part. The, the really sad part. Um, no one seems to care. Um, those that should care just don't. What's the best way 
to assure a long-term user of your product. Oh, get them addicted to it. Uh, at an early age. Yes. Younger the Addict better. As as, uh, exactly. Addict them as quickly as you can. And that's the, that's the strategy here. You know, uh, because smoking, tobacco smoke stinks, right? People smoke right. like cigarettes and, and it's, a, it's got an offensive odor. Well, you know, a lot of people quit smoking, talked to their kids and persuaded them to not smoke. Uh, nobody liked the smell. And smoking declined. Uh, in huge numbers since the 1990s. Well, these corporations can't have that. So what, they, what did they do? They eliminated the key negative factor. With these cigarettes, you get either odorless or some pleasant-smelling vapor. Presto, a whole new generation of hooked teenagers. Great for business, huh? Absolutely. With opioids... I don't know if you're aware of this. The opioids were developed for a very useful uh, purpose. They were very strong pain relievers designed for people with cancer, uh, severe traumatic pain like uh, like from, from an accident or injury or, or from surgery. But that wasn't enough for these guys. They saw an opportunity, and they lobbied the medical community to over-prescribe opioids as if they were aspirin or Advil. And, of course, as we know, this led to addiction. And the concept is the same as I mentioned with e-cigarettes. You create a drug that appeals to a disproportionate number of young males. That's who is abusing opioids. So whether it's opioid or vaporing-based nicotine addiction in young people, these predators don't care as long as the profits keep rolling in. Uh, ads are, are all over the Internet and social media, and they all target younger and younger demographics. They introduced fruity flavors like they were um, Coca-Cola or breakfast cereal. And both of those products have their own issues. Um, and, again, the front line of defense against opioid manufacturers, the lawyers. Against e-cigarette manufacturers, the lawyers. Juul, you know who Juul is? Oh, yeah. J-U-U-L. Yep. They're the number one e-cigarette manufacturer. Now, they they got wind of the fact that they were going to get treated poorly. They saw the legal onslaught coming. And they decided that hooking kids is not a good image to uh, for their company, so they developed an ad campaign. What was the ad campaign? Raise the legal vaping product purchase and usage. Now, I got to tell you, too little, too late, A. And B, if you recall Purdue Pharma, who went out of business and bankrupt, um, 
They did exactly the same thing. They took out an ad campaign in the Wall Street Journal in 2018 that a campaign to limit the use of prescription opioids. Uh, soon after that, lawsuits sent them into bankruptcy. Now, I would imagine, in fairness, many of our listeners are thinking, are lawyers really the heroes? Do they really care? Or do they just do what they do for money? Well, uh, yes, they make a lot of money doing this. I'm not going to suggest that they don't. But their actions have a very important side effect. They hit dangerous drug and nicotine delivery system manufacturers in the pocketbook. And history, the history books tell us they did this to the tobacco industry. They did this to the Ford Pinto. They did this to other dangerous drugs. And they basically make all of us safer. And the fact that they make money doing it doesn't cause any harm to the public. So I say go lawyers. Go lawsuits. Get these guys and slam them good and hard. And I hope that that's the result of uh, of the opioid and e-cigarette uh, litigation, uh, which won't be resolved anytime soon, but it is a big issue in 2019 and will be a big issue in 2020. Um, there's a couple of other uh, items. I, I don't really want to get into them uh, tonight, but... Um, I, I think uh, 2020 is going to be a fun-packed year um, for the Supreme Court. Um, right, there's uh, uh, a Second Amendment case that they've opted to take up and uh, an abortion uh, case. Um Boy, I can just see that being, uh, well, actually, both of them just being um, uh, hell on wheels, shall we say. I, it really well, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they rule. Um, half the people are going to hate life. If, if, um, if we develop a huge listening audience for this program and uh, we discuss the issues of 2020 throughout the year and at the end of the year as the top issues of 2020 those two issues will certainly be discussed uh, in our journey into justice podcast um, they're very important issues uh, for the life of me this gun control issue, um, the, the reading of the Second Amendment where it says, shall not abridge our right to, or infringe upon our right to bear arms, um, I don't understand for the life of me how we extend it to the levels that we've extended it to. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Again, keep in mind we have a very conservative uh five to four Supreme Court. So we'll see which way Roberts in particular goes on these issues. He's the new Kennedy. <laughs> right. And um, 
um, I everything I've read, everything I've heard about uh, Roberts is that he takes the uh, Supreme Court very, very seriously as an institution. He doesn't want it messed with. He does not want it politicized. Um, and what, what seems to be happening, you, you're right, he, he's now the swing vote. Um, I, I'm sure... He has many sleepless nights. Well, I, he, he would be in a in a in a court where his vote was either a uh, minority voice or a uh, definitive majority voice. Uh, he might not take it as seriously as he takes his current role. But I think what's changed him to some degree, uh, liberalized him a bit, if you want to say that, although I don't think he's anywhere, anything close to a liberal, um, is, is how important his vote is. Because you're basically four to four with the other eight, and everybody looks to him. So he's, he's clearly, other than the health of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he's clearly the most important vote on the Supreme Court right now. A, a, a Supreme Court question for you um, mm-hmm. has nothing nothing to do with uh, the topics we're uh, discussing. Just idle curiosity. How how do you become the uh, Chief Justice? Well. Uh, that's that's basically a vote of the sitting um, justices, I believe, uh, uh, and I think it's a minor, it's a majority um, rules. So essentially, uh, at the time, uh, Kennedy was a moderate, but a conservative-leaning uh, justice. So you had a five-to-four majority uh, on the conservative side when Roberts became chief justice. Um, so I believe it's done by a vote of the um, of the uh, justices now in, in Robert's case, I, and I, I may be wrong about this. Uh, somebody could call me at it, I suppose. But if I, I'm recalling correctly, he replaced the chief justice, and that's why he became chief justice. That's my recollection. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, he was chief justice right from the minute he was nominated and was appointed, rather. That's my hmm. recollection. Uh, he replaced he replaced, I believe, Rehnquist, who was Chief Justice at the time. That's and something him, I'm going to have to uh, look up. <laughs> me, me, me too. Me too. Me too. Anyway, it's eight fifty-five on my watch, and I have two more issues that I wanted to discuss. Okay. So I'll, carry I'll go, on. 
I'll go I'll go through the first one. Uh, do we have extra time today or, or what? We can. Okay. How about fifteen uh, minutes? I'll try to be I'll try to be quick. Um, okay. The next the next important two thousand nineteen issue is of course the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. Now, uh, without going into great detail, some people might consider this to be a political issue rather than a legal one. Um, But I would remind our listeners that uh, impeachment is a constitutional issue, and the Constitution is what creates American law. All of our law emanates from the Constitution. Um, Only three presidents in our history have been impeached, including Trump. Four, if you count Richard Nixon, but he he resigned before he could be impeached. Um, And, uh, as we know from the current arguments going on in Congress, uh, removal from office after impeachment requires a trial in the United States Senate, and the jury is uh, our 50 U.S. US senators. So if it's not a legal issue, it's very legal-like. Now, we all know Trump did some bad things as a private citizen, uh, but that's not relevant here. The fact that he cheated on his wife with a porn star the fact that he paid her off to hide it, the fact that he cheated people in business, uh, the fact that he cheated private citizens with his so-called university, the fact that he refused to release his taxes, the fact that he coddles up to dictators, all of, none, of that, none, of that none of that got him impeached. Uh, none of the bad things he does every day the lies he tells to the press and to the people, none of that got him impeached. Not even withholding aid as a quid pro quo got him impeached, in my opinion. It got an investigation going, but that's not what got him impeached. Here's the big thing to me. What got him impeached and let me be crystal clear about this, whether you, whether you agree with an investigation into his conduct or not. Congress, in this case, the House of Representatives, have a responsibility, not just a right, but a responsibility to investigate presidential wrongdoing, presidential overreach. Whether Trump disagrees or doesn't disagree, whether he or his supporters believe the investigation is what he calls a witch hunt. He's obligated by the Constitution and by his oath of office to cooperate with the investigation. This president instructed everybody in his administration to obstruct it. And as such, in my opinion, he created a clear case of obstruction of Congress and obstruction of justice. If the president behaving in this Banner were Clinton or Obama, the Republicans would be screaming about the injustice of it all. Instead, they've embarrassed themselves and discredited themselves by excusing it all and calling it a phony investigation. 
This can only happen in Trump land, Simon. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell screaming that, uh, well, I'm not impartial. I've already made I'll, my mind up. I'll take my lead from the president. That's what he said. I'll take my right. from the president. Now, right. <laughs> I, you know, I see, I, see, I see little or no chance that he'll be removed from office. And I, and I think that's unfortunate. I, I don't say this as a Democrat or a Republican, but I say it as a citizen who used to be able to tell my children and grandchildren to respect the president of the United States. What do I tell them now? So shame on Trump, shame on McConnell, shame on the apologists, shame on the evangelists, shame on everybody who excuses and dismisses this president's unacceptable behavior just because they like his pocketbook issues or they like his stance on the environment if they're uh, a polluter. Uh, Someone had to stand up to this guy and support the rule of law. We have a system of checks and balances in this country. Here's what I uh, do not understand. Um, You you mentioned, you know, people that like uh, the the pocketbook uh, aspect. Right. Um, Right. The average person has not seen any, uh, you know, great leap in uh, in in their uh, in their pocketbook. Um, you know, inflation has um, pretty much eaten up um, whatever small gains there were for the working class guy, you know, um, in in the tax cuts. But um, everyone seems to, or I won't say everyone, but the... uh, you know the the happy Trump band um, all seem to be um, so happy and uh, contented and oh we're doing great. No, we're not doing great. <laughs> I, well, I, I, mean, I just maybe, maybe 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 they're being suffered into thinking they're doing great. I, I don't I don't know. I, I you know we don't know. We, we we hear the news, and if you watch Fox News, you hear one thing, and if you watch MSNBC or CNN, you hear completely another. So, um, depending on who you're listening to, uh, and I'm not a sheep. I have common sense, and I and I have my own opinions, and I form my own judgments and conclusions, and. Uh, I don't care what CNN or MSNBC says. I don't care what Fox News says. I care that a president has to be a beacon of of goodwill and justice in this country. And this guy just is an embarrassment. Now, Now, again, let's assume and this is what I want the people to understand, because, you know, obviously I'm not a Trump fan, 
uh, I think I've made that clear. But I am a fan of the rule of law. And my problem isn't the same as Trump's problem. What Trump basically is saying is that the investigation, as he calls it, is a witch hunt. That's his argument. It's a phony, unnecessary waste of time. That's his, that's his position. I'm willing to give him the position. I'm not saying that he can't feel that way. I'm not even saying that he's wrong. What I'm saying is, if the investigation is a witch hunt, and the investigation is a waste of time, and the investigation will prove nothing, and he will be exonerated, then why not cooperate with it? As I started to say earlier, we have a system of checks and balances in this country, and whether you believe it's a witch hunt or not, the House of Representatives had a constitutional duty to investigate wrongdoing. They issued a bunch of subpoenas for records and for people to come and testify, and the Trump administration refused to produce the records and refused to send the people to the Hill to testify. If you're innocent, why not just shut your mouth, encourage cooperation by all, turn over all the records, and prove your innocence? Instead, he failed to cooperate. He directed his staff to not testify. He defied valid subpoenas. He obstructed justice. And even if the call and the so-called quid pro quo were phony excuses for the investigation or the impeachment inquiry, Congress still had a right to investigate it, and he still had an obligation to cooperate. So very clearly, forgetting and forgiving even all the other wrongdoing. He's guilty of obstruction of justice and obstruction of Congress, and he deserved to be impeached. As to whether those are high crimes and misdemeanors, what I would hope for and don't have any hope for is that the Senate would take those issues seriously and determine honestly, without bias, whether those are high crimes and misdemeanors. That's what should happen. And if it doesn't, then I hope the public comes to its senses in November. That's the impeachment is, is, in my opinion, after all is said, after all the political nonsense is over, uh, failing to comply with subpoenas, failing to, to, to produce records in discovery, those are legal violations, and the consequences should be harsh in the legal system. And that's why I believe he should be impeached and removed from office. Is it is it possible that uh, these people that have defied subpoenas um, could face... Uh, 
some sort of uh, criminal uh, charge? The the House of Representatives doesn't seem to have the flavor, the taste for it. They seem to have decided to impeach him based on the obstruction and not pursue it. What what Pelosi's doing now is trying to get through the back door by holding the articles and seeing if she can get the records and the people to testify in the Senate. Because if those people, if those records are produced and those people testify and they say what I think they're going to say, basically that he's guilty, then he's guilty of other things besides obstruction. But keep in mind, he wasn't impeached for the quid pro quo. He wasn't impeached for the Mueller report. He was impeached for obstruction. I think one of the one of the articles was uh, abuse of power, but that's a broad that's a broad term. So we'll we'll have to see. But I, I just I just think that what's being ignored here is his deep disrespect for the balance of power and the fact that we have three branches of government and he thinks he's a dictator rather than a president in a democracy, a constitutional democracy. And his power comes from the Constitution and so does Congress's. And you can't have one without the other. That's the problem. And those are all legal issues, not political issues. Do do you think this is going to uh, end up in the courts in uh, 2020? Well, again, I I don't know that it'll ever get to court. What I I was hoping for is that Congress, uh, well, the House, that the House wouldn't rush the proceeding. They seemed to want to get it over with. And what I was hoping for is that they'd table it and let the courts issue rulings that made these people produce records and made these people testify. And I'm positive that the courts would have done that. Even a conservative court would have done that. Even the Supreme Court would have done that. But they seem anxious to get this over with. And uh, so I think what you will find, there's a, a, a maxim in, in, in uh, legal uh, proceedings called an issue being moot, M-O-O-T. What that means is that it's no longer relevant to the proceeding. So once they impeached them, impeached him, the records that they were seeking, since they're no longer seeking to impeach him on those issues, are no longer relevant. So I don't know that you'll ever see rulings from the courts uh, on those issues. It would be nice. That's what I. That's what I would. That's what Pelosi is trying to do, essentially, in the Senate, to make those rulings relevant. They can produce um, the people to testify, make him produce the records that he refused to produce. Anyway, the final the final important issue in 2019, very, very important 
legal event in 2019. Are you ready? Yep. Attorney and author Mark Bellow released, re-released three Zachary Blake legal thrillers, new and improved editions of Betrayal of Faith, Betrayal of Justice, and Betrayal of In Blue. And then he also released at the end of December his long-awaited fourth Zachary Blake legal thriller, Betrayal of Black. And I'm pleased to report that right out of the gate, Betrayal in Black has garnered five five-star reviews on Amazon. And I'd like to tell the listeners a little bit about what the reviewers had to say. The first reviewer was Tyler B. at Vine Voice, and he gave the novel five stars and said everyone should read this. This book is intense, heartfelt, and powerfully realistic. I loved how the author approached such a sensitive subject with humility and heart. I was entertained and yet felt deeply for the characters. The author made the dialogue so real and intense that I found myself lost in the drama of it all. It is so important that we read books like this and share them because the more exposure to this type of material, the more important conversations we start to have about these types of racial injustices. I intently enjoyed every word of it. Another Vine Voice reviewer, Heidi Austin, writes, five stars, Mr. Bellow's writing is so good that I felt like I had just lived through this firsthand. This is one of those novels that you will think about for days and days after reading. Thank you, Tyler, and to Heidi and Vine Voice. Um, A reviewer by the name of Alicia writes, five stars, compelling, heartbreaking, frustrating, and hard to put down. Mark Bellow's fourth Zachary Blake legal thriller is very familiar and relevant today. Bellow is great at telling both sides of the story and skillfully gets in the heads of characters. Betrayal in Black is a recommended read for everyone, regardless of race or age. It is the kind of novel that should be talked about because it addresses so many of the issues that we see today, racism in particular. The next two are, I, I cut short because I figured we'd be out of time. Reviewer Jennifer Johnson writes, five stars, an emotional legal thriller. This book holds the reader's attention from page one. You often don't know whether to cry, scream. Uh, I'm sorry. You don't know whether to cry, scream out in anger, or both. It is a definite must-read. And finally, a reviewer named Rory, Rory writes, five stars, I highly recommend this book, another well-done one in the series, where each book, being great somehow, keeps getting better. Truly rare in penmanship. So a huge issue of 2019 is the re-release of the first three Zachary Blake novels and the release of the new Betrayal in Black Zachary Blake novel, 
for uh, the holidays and for 2020. Thanks to all um, of where and where can people uh, where can people buy copies? That's the important they, bit. They can they can go to the website at markambello.com or they can go to amazon.amazon.com uh, and enter Zachary Blake legal thriller or the titles uh, Betrayal of Faith, Betrayal of Justice, Betrayal in Blue, and Betrayal in Black, and they will find uh, my novels. Tell all your friends to buy and read, will you? Will do. <laughs> all my friends That's a- go out and buy these books. They're very good. <laughs> I've read them. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's all okay. I've got for tonight. All right. Other, other, We're... Than, other, other, than, other than, I'd like to wish you and all of our listeners a very happy holiday season and a health, healthy and happy new year to everybody. And the same to you, Mark. Thank um, you, sir. This is Simon Parrott wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and safe week. We'll be back again in, uh, in the new year. Actually, we'll be back next, again next, next Monday. Next Right. (laughs) And uh, who knows what we'll be talking about next week, but you can guarantee it will be interesting. Till then, goodbye. Good night, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.